anytime I was thinking, you know, p- people always have this engaging in this dialogue, opening it up, opening it up. And it's sort of like you, I, you can't think that way because then then you're thinking an end goal. The, the process and this has, has to be feel more organic than that. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director George C. Wolfe's new drama, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Based on August Wilson's Tony Award-winning play, the film captures the tensions and temperatures that rise over the course of an afternoon recording session in 1920s Chicago with the legendary mother of the blues, Ma Rainey. In addition to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mr. Wolfe's directorial credits include the feature films You're Not You and Nights in Rodin. He was nominated for the DGA's Movies for Television and Miniseries Award in 2017 for The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, and won in that same category in 2005 for Lackawanna Blues. Mr. Wolfe spoke with director Bill Condon about filming Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in front of a virtual audience. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Welcome, everyone. I, I was thinking maybe there, there's so much to discuss in this brilliant movie that maybe a, you know, a, a prism that we can talk about it through is just the, the, the art of adapting a play to the theater, to the movies and the, the demands of this new medium. You know? So just from the very beginning, um, all of the stuff. And, and I think you know, it was wonderful to be able to watch the movie several times and just see how many brilliant moments of invention there are there that have that are uh, you know obviously not in the play but clearly this starts with the first five minute chunk you know with that brilliant opening shot where it feels like we're watching two kids that are being lynched and no they're not going toward tragedy they're going toward joy you know they're going to see Ma Rainey perform um and just one one thing I thought when I when I saw it it was that with that scene and then the scene that follows in Chicago, you kind of set the terms right away mm-hmm. by, by saying this is theater. You know, um, you know it is ultimately, uh, you know, it's a play with language that's as expressive and beautiful as Shakespeare's. Uh, it, it, is, it, is, it does have a number of musical numbers in the form of, of uh, uh, speeches, you know. And I think as opposed to movies that have maybe shied away from the theatrical uh, you know, n- nature of what they are, you're saying, relax, you're gonna enjoy it, I'm gonna lead you there. That's part of what I got out, out of uh, that decision to, to uh, start in such a theatrical way. No, I mean, possibly. I mean, you know, if, 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 if that's what you received, if that's what you received. I was much more interested in redefining our, what our collective understanding is of the South. That was my thought process right. because right. At, at one point in the script, Ma Rainey says to Irving, her manager, the line is something to the effect, I don't like it up here anywhere talking about Chicago so I can take my ass back down south. Now our connotation of the south is black people on their knees singing go down Moses and Jim Crow laws and statues of Confederate you know, soldiers and, and, and the oppressive nature of that. And that very much so was true, but also under, under the structure of segregation, black people were able to create their own communities, their own support system. So I wanted to start with what we thought we knew. I wanted to start with two young black men running and we and there are cicadas in the trees 
And we've, and we've seen that dynamic in any number of movies. So I wanted to start with that. And I wanted to engage us in what we thought we knew. And, and there's an, and a sense of, and hopefully there's a sense of anxiety because we're hearing that and we're seeing them running and we're hearing the dogs bark. And then all of a sudden we realize there, as you pointed out, we're not running from something, we're running to something. And we're running to an event in which you see nothing but black people. And you see at the center of this, this woman. In, the, in August's play, even though it's called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, there's like an hour's worth of material, brilliant language, in which these guys are just talking and telling stories. And I wanted to get rid of that. I probably, through the course of working with Ruben on the script, killed off probably about 40% of the, of, of the actual play text. And I wanted to, and, and anything that didn't focus, solidify, enhance, and compound the power dynamic between Levy and Ma was in essence exercised from the script because I wanted to be very clear about that. And also I wanted to, so that you're, so you're starting in apprehension and then you transition and then you're seeing this creature who has a congregation, if you will. So there's a theatricality, but it's a cultural theatricality. It's a preacher and her congregation. It's not a conventional audience separation. There is no separation between Ma right. and her audience. She is, she is at one with it. And then, and then just when we were starting to enjoy the phenomenon of the performance and relaxing into that, then I have a series of images of, 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 if, of if you will, tableaus, which, which are animated, which are about the journey of, from, from, from the South to the North of all these black people. And then we end up in a theater in Chicago where it's very different from the theater in the South where it's Ma and her audience because of, the, because of, 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 of modernity, because of electricity, you can't see that audience. So there's a disembodiment between her and her audience but also what you're really watching is hopefully by the end of that sequence at the Grand Theater, you know, there's a young man, you don't know his name, who is brash. You know, he steals stage from Ma. You know, she doesn't like it. You see him flirting with this girl. We don't know the, who, quite who the girl is. Yeah. And you see the other people in the band disapproving so that before one piece of dialogue is actually heard, hopefully the audience's journey from the South to the North with Ma and you understand the power dynamics that, that are in place. So it so it was it was using performance milieus, but not in the sense of a play, but using it so as to play around with establishing this degree of intimacy between Ma and her congregation and audience. Because once we once we come to Chicago, it's going to be, for lack of better words, the contamination of that. Whereas you're taking that rawness of performance and you're putting it inside a machine so that therefore it can be mass produced. So it's about the commodification of a culture. So you are seeing the rawness of the culture first, and then you're going to be watching the journey, whereas that culture is ultimately going to be disregarded so we can come up with a product. So yes. that was sort of more my thinking about that opening, if that makes any sense. It makes total sense. And, and I, I talked to your brilliant DP, Tobias, who said that you wouldn't even allow them, anybody to bring in extras in that theater because you wanted to make sure that, that, that there was no possibility of her connecting to the audience. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Because it's, you know, because we, 
it, it's because there is, because that audience is there and that audience is sort of like the people in the South, but they've already been urbanized. So she's on her way out. And, 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 and they're also, at that, by that time in Chicago, Jelly Roll Morton was a huge hit. Louis Armstrong was a huge hit. So the era of the era of the of the woman blues singer as the star is on its way out and we're getting ready to enter into the era of the band conductor as the star you know it's right. you know duke ellington and his orchestra in levy's mind levy green and his orchestra and and one of the things that was really interesting that viola and i talked about very early on is that she's She's facing, in many respects, the end of her career, which is part of the reason why I think she's so unreceptive to what Levy has to offer, aside from the fact he's brash and, you know, and he's sleeping with his boss's daughter, which is never a good thing, but uh, is that it's the, it's the, the film is set in 1927. Ma never recorded again after 1928. Mm. She never ventured north. One of the things that's also really, very, and, and Bessie Smith, who was her lover, and who she taught has usurped her, has, has sort of, you know, rendered her obscure. And one of the things that I found out in post when I was putting together this in credit moment, there are literally a total of seven photographs of Ma Rainey, period. Unbelievable. So, you know, and this woman who was so crucial to right. the evolution, you yeah. know, if, 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 you, if, if you didn't have the blues, you wouldn't have rock and roll. You know, it, the blues yeah. is, is, is the root of everything. You know, she was, you know, worried not for the corrupting of, of, of stealing of her songs and, and, and the records that we have, she would be rendered totally invisible. So it's, so it's just that interesting dynamic that I wanted to go from the purest form of performance, i.e. performer and congregation to the most contaminated in, in Ma and a certain level, I think August's thought process was, which is, you know, the, by virtue of her recording, she ceases to have power. Right. But thank God she was recorded because otherwise, where would she be in terms of our, you know, us, us, us having a relationship with what was so brilliant and extraordinary about yeah. Then we come to the the door. The the you know the door in the play is you know it's it's it mentions one of the the first thing that first things that uh, Cutler and Levy argue. I mean, uh, Levy and Toledo argue about. You know, he he thinks they why does everything have to change? That door wasn't here. Of course, it was here. And that's that's it. You know. Yeah. But, but can you tell us about that decision to make the door such a a, a focal point in, in in staging and in in everything? Having, you know, in, in Chadwick's performance? Well, it's very interesting because, you know, I was going, you know, anytime I was thinking, you know, people always have this engagement, this dialogue, opening it up, opening it up. And it's sort of like, you, I, you can't think that way because then, then you're thinking an end goal. The, the process and this has, has to be feel more organic than that. And so I was just going, why is Levy, why is Levy talking about that door? Why, why are we having a conversation about that door? And, uh, and and I was just going. There's some. What's on the other? What's on the other side of that door? What's on the other side of the door? And and I just by asking that question, I, 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 I it, it came to me one day that 
he needs to break through that door at his most vulnerable and most desperate because for him, I think, I think people, people are perpetually, I think it's one of the wonderful things about being a human being. And I think it's one of the incredibly foolish things about being a human being is that you, we are perpetually, a, a large percentage of us are perpetually holding out for a happy ending. It's, it's, one of some, it's, it's the thing that allows us to wake up in the morning and feel empowered. Today, every single extraordinary thing that can and should happen is going to happen today. Now, what ends up happening to Levy is every single thing that horrible could happen ends up happening to him in one day. You know, he gets fired. And then shortly thereafter, the promise of him having a recording session is gone. He doesn't end up with the girl. And so he's, he's at a loss. And after that moment when he gets fired, there's just rage and insecurity and fear going on inside of him. And being a young man, even though he's 32, he feels very much so like he's in his 20s for me. He needs to release what's going on inside of him. And so you see, I'm going to leave. No, that. I'm going to stay. No, that. I'm going to make this place cool. No, that. I'm going to relax. No, I'm not. What that door? What that door? And so that therefore, when he breaks through that door, and it's interesting because uh, at one point, my production designer did a brilliant job, said, you know, came up with this idea of some hook hanging up there. I went, no. And people have kept on throwing ideas at me. I've said, no, you see, sees a piece of that sky, but he is surrounded by walls. And it becomes, it becomes that it becomes for me ultimately the American equation of what has been promised to black people since the dawn of this country. If you, if you transform yourself, if you surrender that which idiosyncratically about your culture, if you, if you believe in this God, if you, if you march, if you surrender, if you are angry, if you do a whole series of things one day, you will on the other side of that, uh, on the other side of, of, the, of the obstacle is infinite possibility. And in that moment, Levy is counting on that. It's not conscious, but it's built into his subliminal existence. On the other side of that door is, is, the, um, is America is gonna come through on the deal it's been promising black people since, since the very beginning. And when he breaks through and he finds just an, an, an enclosure that's smaller than the one that he's operating from. It's the end of, of in many respects, of, of hope and faith and possibility and that sense of buoyancy that I spoke to earlier about a potential of a happy ending. It, it, shatters, it's, it's, it shatters that wonderful childlike thing that we all have inside of ourselves, which is the possibility of the next moment. Well, the thing that's miraculous is that you describe that and it's all there. That's something you feel, I felt when I watched it. I felt, you know, a play exists in its time, a movie exists in its time, but then you you get to that moment and everything that resonates in the play and that's universal and still applies and everything that applies certainly to recent events just hits you with such a moment, it's such incredible force. So bravo for that. It really, it's, it's just an amazing an amazing way, again, an example of something where you're interpreting something else and then uh, uh, turning into something that's just so essential and, and beautifully. Well, because that's, I mean, it's, it's one of the wonderful things about film. It's one of the, it's one of the wonderful things about 
film. I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I love doing theater, but there's, there's this one, one I, the, the one thing I love about, about, about a film is one, every single detail matters. Yes. Every single detail either enhances the story or distracts from the story. You know, the perfection of Faye Dunaway's eyebrows in Chinatown <laughs> yes. are, are, is, is there as a camouflage for the corrupt the, for the corruptness that is intrinsic to the family that she is formed. Those yes. eyebrows must be flawlessly perfect to conceal all the corruption that is going on inside. You know, and 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 every single detail matters, and you get to obsess in an insane, crazy way as a director about every single detail. And anybody who worked on this film will tell you that's what I did, and but camouflaging it and making it appear like it's discovery. Robin Wagner, the set designer, has this brilliant phrase. He says, uh, "Collaboration is a word that directors invented to make everybody feel good about obeying them." And <laughs> You know, and so that's one of the things that I, you know, that every single detail matters. And so my brain, which works like that and is obsessed in that way, it gets to play with that. But the other thing is that there can be these incredibly large visual gestures that can encapsulate all this emotion, all this emotion. And, and, and that's what breaking through that door is it's 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 it encapsulates Levy's desperation for a possibility when he desperately needs it, and the moment is is not articulated through language, and lang- and and the language in this uh, film is incredibly gorgeous, gorgeous and amazing and powerful, and they're like blues arias, but it's a visual moment that that. It has Im- 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 embedded in it all the, as you said, all the language, all the hopes, all the possibilities yeah. of that character in that moment. Yes. And film yeah, can do that in a thrilling way. Mm. I heard you, for example, in the in the you know the big scenes downstairs, that you would show up easily an hour early every morning, sort of ask for the room alone, would would crouch for ungodly periods of times in different places, and had this uh, idea that it was. Um, a boxing match, that it was a boxing ring. And yep. I, I, I'm just curious about that and also about uh, uh, blocking. And, and, and obviously that's something that's so much a part of, of uh, theater, but blocking and then blocking for camera and, 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 and how that worked for you. Well, it's, you know, every, I, you know I, it's, you know, going back, with the, we had two weeks of rehearsal which, which was which was crucial, you know. One, you know, and 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 which ever we we played around. I I had I had them mock up the room. I'm very early on when I was when when uh, when I was talking with with the production designer about the room. It was it was crafted in an oblong. It was crafted as a rectangle. And 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 I remember at one point Tobias and Mark were there, and I said, "No, bring in the column, bring in the column, bring in the column." And I saw them looking at each other and sort of rolling their eyes like. He is trying to make our life hell, and, <laughs> and 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 so I moved them in until it was a boxing ring because, to my mind, you know, particularly in that first fifteen minutes of the film, where I, I wanted to come up with a conceptual idea which which the actors could grab onto, so that therefore I could play around with crafting the rhythms in a very taut way, and to me. It was a series of boxing rounds that these four guys engage in, 
and, 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 and we spent a lot of time in that two week rehearsal period discussing when you are punching, when you got hit, when you got clobbered, when do you retreat to your corner? When do you not? And so it was, so, so to me, it was, it was, it was playing, it was, it was a linguistic raging bull, if you will. Yeah. It was, it was giving so that therefore the, the language had the potency to, okay. to injure, to come, to take command, to, to, to declare a victory, to force you to retreat. And so mm. all of those dynamics were playing and I talked to the actors about them so that therefore there was no iconic, there was no like lazy rhythms going on. It was a chance to keep on winning, to gaining points. And so, and so just the idea of that, and then that ended up forming, you know, how, how all of those scenes were done, who's retreating, who's charging at. You know, there's, a, there's you know, there are moments where, where there are moments where Cutler hurls something to at, at Levy and the other guys are laughing and he retreats over to a column. And then he and then when Irving comes in and says we're going to do Levy's version, he comes charging back going ooh at him. You know, it's yeah. all done with a sense of play, but it is I just won. You lost. No, now I'm winning. And so that's how I staged it. And I would every day before I would I, I would I would I would I would. I would sit in those spaces and figure out what the hell I, I sort of knew what I was doing, but then I, I would, I would make it more tangible. And then I'd have the actors come over and it would just be me, the actors and me in the room playing. And then once I, once they felt comfortable in what I had crafted, then I invited Tobias and the first AD and the script supervisor in. And then after that, everybody else, but I wanted to start with create, putting, allowing the actors to feel comfortable so that when we started filming, they weren't searching for it. They had, they, they had formulated from the two weeks before and from that morning, a basis of command so that therefore when I pushed them in a certain direction, rhythmically or blocking wise, they could adjust to it because they already had an emotional and a linguistic command. So that was, that was what was going on. And it does lead to, I mean, it, rhythm, I mean, it does, it does add a certain speed to everything, which is, which yeah. is, that sports metaphor does make it all, everything is so kinetically charged, you know? And it's also because also one of the things that I think, aside from the opening sequence and the end sequence, it's one day, which is an incredibly wonderful, you know, it's a wonderful filmic device, you know, everything's going to happen in one day. Yeah. And also, you know, the, in the play, it takes place in the winter. And, and I made a decision. I just said, no, it has to take place in summer because urban landscapes are brutal in the summer. Right. Right. The heat doesn't bounce. The heat, the heat doesn't go inside the earth. The heat bounces off the concrete and then into your body. And so that therefore it, 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 it was another way to explain that why the stakes are so charged because maybe, maybe on a cooler day, more rational thoughts would emerge. But because of the heat, and because of the stakes and having only one day, it, it produces this pressure cooker of thinking and feeling and response. So as a result of it, it's, you're, it's, it, it's happening almost faster than the characters know what, what's happening to them. Mm. Um, when it comes to the arias, to the, to the speeches, you know, I, I, obviously they're all shot in very, very different ways. Um, but one thing I was really struck by going back to the play was um, that Levy's amazing speech about his mother and father uh, ends at one, um, followed by a little snippet of music. And you 
and, and Ruben and Santiago Hudson, I'm sure, together. But, but I want to talk about how you both decided on this and, and then uh, um, uh, did it. Um, you then followed it immediately uh, by, by a monologue of Toledo's that had preceded it in the play. Almost, so making this emotional connection between these two characters that it was, it was what Levy had revealed prompted uh, Toledo to, to share this story. So then, the, so which only adds to the tragedy of what happens at the end. Exactly. But, but the extraordinary thing is that when you cut, cut from um, Toledo playing piano and then, and then are on his face, the room has almost all gone away. I mean, it, it, the light is dark. It's, it is theatrical, you know, or it is, he's somewhere else now. You know, it's, it's entirely different from what we just saw, you know, which was really, uh, you know, a levy speech, but everyone's reaction, especially Toledo's. And now there is this story that then in the most stylized, one of the most stylized things in the movie is, is, is intercut with, these still frames, the, not still frames, but these staged frames of, you know, people in Chicago who are sort of, you know, waiting for the Both great thing to happen, right? Yeah. 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 You know, um, and reminded me of weirdly of shots from James Will's Showboat, a show that opened in 1927, but these just beautiful images of just packed with emotion, you know, even though even though they were so still. So how did that all come about? Because that, that was amazing. Well, you know, because anytime, you know, one of the things that, that was very interesting to me is that all, all of those stories, it's all of those stories that they tell, they're all black men and they're all from the South. So even though if, if, if uh, Cutler is telling the story about Reverend Gates, that's very specific to him, but they each know that story from somebody in their family or somebody from their town. So that so that uh, so that uh, Levy telling the story about his parents, it's very specifically his stories, and the details are very much very specifically his story. But they find themselves each inside of it, and and the brutality of what he experienced at such a young age, to me, deeply affects all of them. But Toledo, being the oldest, he's also. To, to my mind, the, the, the philosopher, the intellectual, if you will, of the bunch. And so it's left him in a state. And so he starts talking and he's working something out with himself. I, it's interesting that you notice because I had the room completely stripped. I had all the details, all the details of, of that's on the walls that you know that that are there for 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 the rest of the film. I just wanted them all to go away, so that therefore you would just he was you were witnessing him formulating his thoughts, and I I wanted it to start off like it's some sort of casual sort of emotional sorbet, which feels to me like it's it's going to lift, but in its casualness, it takes you deeper into where we already were. And once again, the motionlessness of the images that we cut to are, there's a degree of stylization, but it's also that motionless because it's happening at that time of the day where it is hottest. And it's the people who don't have a job. It's, it's the black people who have come from the South because of the promise of what the North is. 
And so they, they, they've tried to get their job. They're, they're married to somebody that's trying to get their job. They're waiting to go on that place. But it happens at that point of the, of the day where it is so hot and so unbearable that they are, they are rendered motionless. And, and so anything that, that, that has a heightened quality was very important to me that it's grounded in specificity in the specificity of the moment of the time. And right after that, we cut to outside, the street that's outside, and it's the cars are, are the, the street is the most packed. The sun is beaming down the hardest, the white sun in the white sky. And so it is that, 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 that point in the day where after that, we've turned a corner. And once we've turned that corner in terms of Levy's emotional rawness and Toledo making it clear, this is how society sees an entire race of people, then every single thing starts to accelerate from that from, from that point. So it was it was creating. I wanted to to create what seemed like a relief from what we've uh, what we just witnessed from Levy's intensity, but it ends up casually and subtly intensifying in a surprising way. So that therefore we are hopefully apprehensive but available to what happens next yep. so that so that was that was that was my idea of, of of the crafting of it and and you know and, and various people said but it's two but it's two speeches back together i said but they won't be the same they're going to be completely different but it's two speeches i said it won't right. be the same trust me trust me trust me you know and so and 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 it was and and wanting to also just to create a um a uh a heightened, heightened by the sense of the music underneath, so that therefore it is performative, but it is so internal and so subjective that it's not in Ma's number is coming at us. This number, we hopefully we lean into it. Mm, mm. Because that's one of you know that that's one of the things where I wanted to put whether that technically happens or not. It's one of the things that I think is, which 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 is really fascinating to me when one is in the theater and the theater is having an impact. You lean into the stage. Yeah. Yes. In a movie, because of the scale of the film, when it's having an impact, you lean back. Mm. So I wanted to try to play around with the rhythms of that, so that therefore you're you're you lean back on Levy's story because of the emotional rawness of it all and the vulnerability and the staggeringly brilliant performance of it all. Yes. And then for Toledo to pull you in. Right. But and thematically, that's all absolutely makes sense and great. I, I just think also in a formal way that the fact that you are heightening things like that, it really does I keep thinking, you know, it got all confused this year because of uh, COVID and how movies get released and everything. But that streamers, I think Steve, uh, Soderbergh was the first one to really fool around with this, that maybe there's a new kind of movie. You know, he, he makes those experimental movies, you know, uh, for HBO Max, Netflix. And this seemed to me like another example of that, that the pressure always that this is, you know, th there are certain pressures that cinema brings to stories. You know, there is a certain... Uh, photorealism that sort of, you know, uh, has its own demands and the plot and story and all that stuff. And, and the pleasures of a play and the pleasures of this play also include 
uh, language, you know, and and talk and ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the miracle here is that all those things are served. Um, but I think part of how you pull it off, and it just felt to me like you were you were maybe cracking up with a new form almost, is that by heightening in some ways, big ways or little ways, makeup, close up at the beginning, all of that stuff, you just we're giving the audience license to relax into something that if it doesn't feel entirely real, they are comfortable with, because that's going to give them this amazing emotional kind of reward at the end, you know, that hmm. I think, and, and it seemed to me what was also exciting is that with decisions like that, you start to say, maybe you can get past this, this um, uh, conversation, this endless conversation of like, Oh, but it still felt like a play or something like that. Don't, there's no apology for the fact that there are things about it that are like a play. That's its glory. And letting it be this hybrid thing, I thought was really. Uh, That's very interesting. Yeah. But, you know, to me, it isn't a play because, of the, the, I, I, you know, it, 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 it isn't a play. And a lot of people have been saying it's a play because it's got dialogue, you exactly. know. Right. Well, and it's like so, so does network, you know. That's right. I'm bringing up Faye Dunaway again. Her, you know, those are arias. Those are. Yeah, those, exactly. instead of, Instead of blues arias, they're neurotic arias. They're, they're like instead of blues black arias, a lot of the arias in network are, are neurotic white people having a nervous breakdown arias, but they are arias nonetheless. And 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 it, I lo- and and I love it because it's celebrating the miracle. It's 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 what human beings do. They the storytelling equation of human beings. The 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 the, if I if I am in charge of my language, you know, I, you know, it's, it's southern 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 writers are extraordinary. I mean, all kinds of writers, but southern writers are really really fascinating me. And being southern, I'm fascinated by it because there's this equation that exists in southern writing, which is I may not be in charge of my life, but I'm in charge of my narrative. Mm. And I think that's what all these all these characters are talking about. And and. You know, I'm in charge of my narrative. Ma, at a point, is feeling insecure about about getting older, about where her career is, about Dusty Mae. She's picked up this girl who's with her, who is a bleating, total, fluid flirt. So all these things, and her voice is being put into this machine, and she's know they're going to try to screw her. So every single thing about her day is about her losing control. And so when she starts to talk about the blues and her career and Bessie Smith, that's her chance to regain control over her narrative. And it's a human impulse that we all have so that we are in charge of. And so that's what the language is to me. And I, so I felt like it was my job you know, and there, there's, there's, there, there's a wonderful monologue where, where Slow Drive talks about how he got his name from grinding on this woman. There are all these things that are just brilliant that they're perpetually part of the play. But once again, yep. in my understanding of what I wanted to show, which is the power dynamic between Levy and Ma, if, if a story didn't activate their journey, then I, it ended up being cut from the film. And right. so to me, I, I, I don't know how to engage, you know, if, if it seems like a hybrid, hallelujah. If it seems like a play, which I don't think it is, whoever said that, go to hell. I'm just talking about- yeah, Whoever said the, what? Hybrid? hybrid? No, no, hybrid. Whoever said it's a play on film. Oh, right, right, right. No, no, They yeah, go yeah. to hell. Right, but right. to me, what, what, I, what I took on my responsibility is, is to find the intimacy. This is, this is what directing is to, is to me. 
in a very simple form. It's locating the intimacy and the urgency in a story yes. and then crafting a world and a landscape and the characters that embody that intimacy and urgency. And so that's, that's my job on, 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 on every single project that I do is to figure out why the character is so invested in these words coming out of their mouth and why they're so invested in the choices that they are making. And if I can understand that and communicate that to an actor and then help cajole, push, sub, nurture, support, nurture them to embody that fully, then, then it's going to create something that's hopefully going to be engaging and captivating and, and hopefully have a degree of potency. Absolutely, yes. And, and you know, when you talk about the power relationship, the way that you were able to translate that visually, one of my favorite shots is when, when um, uh, Ma realizes that um, it's been a while since she's seen Dusty May, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's gone quiet in here. I don't like quiet and that sort of off kilter close up, you know, where, where, and she's been looming in so many frames and now she's, now she's not, you know, mm-hmm. I thought that was, that, that, you know, when, when I hear you say the whole thing is a power struggle between the two of them, it, it, it you know, it just becomes clear that informed as you say, almost every every visual decision because yeah, really- and also because also one of the things is is another thing which which which, which Viola and I talked about is the exhaustion of going to war every day yes. because you are an artist because you are black because you are a woman because you are a black woman artist the going to war as you know you must, but the wear, the physical and spiritual wear and tear of that and the exhaustion of that. And in the beginning of that speech, she, she yells something at Sturdivant. And then that moment, the moment, it, it was very interesting because in editing, in, 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 in that moment where she says, and too cheap to buy you a Coke and she yells at him. And then, and we filmed it in, in, in a series of blocks. And then we picked up with her going, they don't care nothing about me. And, you know, in editing, I had a one, a one in one cut, I had a pause. And, you know, too cheap to buy your Coca-Cola. Pause, 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 pause. They don't care nothing about me. And what we ended up with, too cheap to buy your Coca-Cola. They don't care nothing about me. That once he left the room, she could drop her defiance and the exhaustion of having to be defiant all the time was instantly there. And then to allow her, to, to allow this galvanic figure who we've seen, who takes on a white policeman in 1927, who takes on anybody and anything to just be rendered fragile and and delicate and exhausted was the complete and total perfect choice for that moment. And it's, you know, it's, as, is, as is every moment with, with the lovely Miss Davis brilliantly embodied. And it yeah. was just the, the wear and tear of it all, the wear and tear, the wear and tear of having to be a warrior all the time just to be an artist. Mm-hmm. I see we're coming close to, to our end. So let's go to the end. Um, the coda that you added. Yeah. Uh, the play ends with the, with the um, you know, um, 
with Toledo's death and basically a few moments of, of people being called. So can you talk about that decision? Oh, with the band? Mm. Yeah, I, I was just, you know, I was, it's, it's another one of these things. Ruben was on his way down, come to, coming down to my, my, my place. So we were going to talk about it. And, and this image, and I had just been, you know, I've, I've always been sort of obsessed with Paul Whiteman, the conductor, who, right. uh, who at one point had, had a concert at Carnegie Hall, which, in which it was the concert that made a lady out of jazz, which is so fucked up and annoying and offensive <laughs> on so many levels. Uh, and, um, and so I've, I've always had a, a little casual obsession with him. And, but I, I, to me, I wanted, there are two deaths that happen. There's the death of Toledo at the end, and then there's the death of of of, of Levy's art. There's the death of of Levy's artistry being stolen from him, and we all know the dynamics of you know Big Mama Thornton singing "You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog" and then Elvis Presley, and they're abstract. I mean, we, we get them, we 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 understand them in a very tangible way. But the thing, which is what I wanted to do, is I wanted hopefully hopefully by that by the end of the film. You have, you have, we as an audience have fallen in love with Levy and his charm and his brashness and his uh, stupidity and foolishness and arrogance and, and, and the tragedy of him and the tragedy of realizing that regardless of this man's promise, there was the past which is so scarred within him, there's no way he was going to ever be able to really escape that. So that therefore, we, when we are feeling all of this emotion, when we then see somebody has taken his song, it's not an abstract idea. It's, it's happened to somebody, hopefully, who we've grown to love and care about and be invested in. And, 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 it, and it, it felt um, brutal to me um, and... Um, because you know, if you know, if you know, if it's if something's going to be in the paper next day, you know, this black man killed another black man in the basement of a recording studio on such and such street. It's a small story. It's a it's it's a very small story. It matters because it, we have grown to care about them. But it's a it's a throwaway story. It doesn't matter. Whereas, whereas, the exact same thing that Ma has been fighting about, to, to ownership, ownership of her artistry, we see happen to him. Mm-hmm. And, and it just seemed like uh, the, a, the, the, the sort of perfect completing button to the story. And um, because it's, it's, and next, and next. It's not no. <laughs> it's not horror. It's just and and the next day or three days later or five days later the beat goes on. Right, right. You know, and then following that, it's very interesting because, you know, I did a, a preview in Atlanta, and and that and and shortly after that sequence, and so, shortly after that sequence, a little bit of music started to play. And then the lights came up and the audience was loving the film. They were loving it. And then they felt brutally betrayed, brutally betrayed. 
And in the talk back, this one man said, you know, what's going on in the world? And I come home and I turn on the, the news. You can't do that. You can't do that to me. It's very interesting because also at that moment, while Ma was riding in the car, I brought back a section of Toledo's speech at that point. Okay. And then I eliminated that because it was, uh, it was attaching an intellectual thought to a moment that we were experiencing viscerally and emotionally so that therefore it was telling you what to think about as opposed to you being free to think about what you were thinking about. And then we had the moment with the band. And then that's where the moment came where having those seven images of Ma Rainey and hearing her voice singing Ma Rainey's Black Bottom came from yeah. because that is the thing that survived. Survives, right. That right. is the thing. It's the Fortinbras moment in mm -hmm. the piece. You know, it's a lot, you know, it's like in Hamlet, there's a lot of dead bodies, but Fortinbras tells us we need to go forward. And having Ma's voice coming in at the end and images of her, it is the moment that says, and something survived. Yeah. And I would not have discovered that had we not done that preview and that abrupt, brutal ending. So the coda, that ultimately true coda, while, while the credits are playing, was crucial to, 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 to not lifting the story out of the emotional state that, that the film ends in and that in theory we are in, but it, 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 it sort of, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a light, it's a slight floating slightly above the moment, just yeah. ever so slightly, so that we can gain breath. That's that's that that was what was involved, and so I view you know the the the, the stabbing moment, mind the car, the bad moment, and then my brainy singing as all part of some musical movement, if you will, an emotional movement. Well, I get a really a real pang when I hear you talking about Atlanta preview because it, I, I hope when we're done with all this that. There are certain keeper movies like this that that do get released in theaters, and we do get. To, I would huh. would love to see this big and with with an audience. It looks really. It was really. I mean, there was this also this fascinating moment when and 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 watching them watch the opening, where watching the panic that they felt, and then the joy of Ma, and uh -huh. then when the sequence happened, they they changed. And then they leaned in and to listen, and they and and it's like we have, I I gave them permission to not have to worry about listening for at least three minutes. So <laughs> therefore, I saved up, and now you better listen because there's going to be people talking. Right. Saved up for there, but that the moment I it, it was really fascinating to me the moment where Sturdivant says to Levy, "Here, let me take that music." The entire audience screamed out, "No!" Oof. Right. It was, it was, you know, that, yeah. that Levy could have heard them, but he couldn't. Mm. And they screamed out, no, it was so, you know, and the same thing when he, when, when he attacked Toledo, that exact same thing. And, it, and it, you know, and it was startling how they reacted, but it was also a source of incredible pride because they had, they had taken ownership of these characters, Yep. you know, which is a great thing. Wow. Well, thank you. It's an extraordinary accomplishment. I think uh, I speak for everyone uh, in, in, in our guild when I say that it's just inspiring to hear you talk. Oh, and, thank you. And uh, it just, again, um, thanks for the movie and, and thanks for doing this. And Well, thank you. Thank you for, this has been fun. This has no, been fun. Good. Yeah. Good. Stay safe and not okay, too cold. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Okay, okay take care. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we bring you discussions of films from Paul Greengrass, Andrew Heckler, and Ramin Barani. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.